One Week Season. OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam, welcome to the week 11 edition of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. It's Thursday as I record this. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed and let's get started with a bit of an early angles podcast. So real quickly on my end, there were some crossed wires in terms of schedules around holiday travel. So uh, my family and I are flying on Friday this week. Friday typically is my show with Pete Overzet, my solo ship show on Roto Grinders, the Angles podcast, the Player Grid, all that good stuff. So we uh, have Hilo filling in on the Block Party show with Pete tomorrow. Squirrel Patrol and I recorded our solo ship show today. He's flying out for the King of the Beach tomorrow. So that worked out well. And yeah, taking care of the Angles podcast today. Kind of funny this morning. So uh, if you've been around my content, you know that on Friday nights, my family and I, we do Pizza Friday with the kids. This morning, I almost told the kids that tonight was Pizza Friday because in my head today was Friday. We are uh, flying on Friday. So everything's been kind of moved forward today in my week of process and research and, and prep for the slate. So definitely in kind of the same place that I'm typically in on Friday, just in that space a day early. So with that, Let's get to this week's Angles podcast. And uh, I want to start out, all of this is going to tie into week 11. And more importantly, all of this is going to tie into how we play Sharp DFS. So as you know, this is what we always want to focus on at OWS is not just, hey, who are the good plays on this week's slate? But more importantly, what does this week's slate look like? What is the puzzle on the box for this week's slate? And how do we attack DFS in a plus EV manner, in a manner that if we played out this week's slate 100 times, we would make money over that sample size and then do the same thing again next week and the next week and so on. If we are constantly doing that, and especially if we are increasing our sample size by playing showdowns, by playing flash drafts, by doing pickums, by um, you know, putting in 150 lineups instead of just one lineup on the main slate and on down the list, playing afternoon-only slates, uh, which if you're an Inner Circle member, obviously you get afternoon-only content. It's one of the only places you can get strategy content around afternoon-only play. You get such a, a great edge from kind of thinking through th that slate in a way that other people are not thinking through it. So uh, if you are increasing your sample size, then you give yourself extra opportunities to put those plus EV samples into the bucket and that payout starts to come back, you know, in a much shorter time frame because you that those those positive samples have an opportunity to play out much more quickly. So uh, how do we attack this week in a plus EV manner? So first, let's step back and talk really quickly about some of the things that we saw in week 10. And I'm going to talk about something that this isn't new to most of you. It's something we talk about uh, quite a bit, but important to cover frequently because it's important to keep these thoughts in your mind and stay sharp on them. And that is what does our sharpest competition in DFS do? Well, when we talk about our sharpest competition, we're talking about the people we're really competing against for first place, which means the names that you see at the tops of the leaderboards all the time. And it's important to think this way because in DFS, the way that you make money is by getting those asymmetric payouts. The way that you make money is not by 
cashing in tournaments. It feels good to cash in tournaments. You got a profitable weekend, but only about 20% of rosters in most tournaments cash in those tournaments. So if only one out of every five of your rosters is going to cash in tournaments, because mathematically that's generally what's going to happen. Maybe you beat that pace and one out of every four of your rosters cashes in tournaments, but cashing is just double your money. So you're still slowly bleeding out money over time. And then maybe you have this top 10% finish, this top 6% finish, and you get 3x your buy-in. Well, you're still bleeding out money over time. And the way that you prevent yourself from bleeding out money over time, and I'll, I'll put it like this, the first in the first five weeks of the season, I had like six second place tournament finishes and a first place tournament finish. And already by, I think it was by like week nine, I was in position to where I could lose every single dollar of my buy-in entries for the rest of the season and still be at profit on the season because those second place finishes, those first place finishes, that's where the money really is. And that's what really makes a difference in your season. So who is our sharpest competition? We're not just competing against the field. We are competing against the people whose names you always see at the tops of the leaderboards. What's cool is, as we often talk about, we have an edge over those people. So our sharpest competition, by and large, they are grinding every DFS sport, which means that at this time of year, they're grinding NBA six, seven days a week. If you have never played NBA DFS, it is truly a grind because a lot of times five minutes before games tip off, you'll find out it's not like NFL where an hour and a half before games inactives are announced. Five minutes before a game tips off, you might find out that player X is not playing. Also, because it's the NBA, it doesn't have to be a major injury, something that you know about, right? There's 82 games. Guys are going to have rest days or guys are going to sit with minor injuries. And then on top of that, uh, because usage rates uh, correlate so heavily to production in NBA, when one player is out, all of that usage has to spread to other players. It dramatically changes the production on other players on that team. Whatever cheap guy is stepping in on that team is going to typically be really viable uh, on that particular slate. And so you have to really play, pay close attention to all the news. And it really is a grind. It's one of the reasons why, in spite of NBA being such a popular sport, NBA DFS has never taken off in the way that NFL DFS has, is because it is so much work to keep up with NBA DFS. So we say all that to say, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is grinding that every night. Well, you're probably not, if you're in that position, you're probably not putting the same amount of time and energy and effort into each given NFL slate as you, the viewer, the listener are putting in. So how do you make sure that you have that edge over time if you are that type of player? Well, for the most part, those players are A, applying strong, sound DFS strategy and theory, which is why we have Inner Circle on OWS. It's why we have this space where multiple times each week throughout the week, we can help with training, with strategy, with becoming better DFS players. It's part of the reason why we see so many OWS pennants at the tops of the leaderboards week in and week out, primarily amongst Inner Circle members, is because DFS strategy and theory is so important. And then the other main thing that you see a lot of these DFS players doing is just overstacking games, basically saying, what is the game that could end up shooting out? And let me overstack this particular game. What does our softest competition do? Well, our softest competition tends to rely too heavily on the onesies that they are trying to a roster full of onesies and twosies where it's like, okay, maybe two players from this game. And then this one player that I like, this one player that I like, this one player that I like. And just mathematically, it does not turn things in your favor. This is not a discussion that we need to get into right now. If you're an inner circle member, you've heard us dig deep into this. Uh, if you're not, then you've still probably heard us touch on this plenty of times over 
this season and over the years. Uh, really quick note, if you've not listened to the Playing for First Place course on OWS, actually, let me try to pull that up for uh, any of you who are watching this. Uh, if you are any form of OWS member, so that means even an OWS free member, uh, you can access this course for free. Uh, so go to, there we go. Now we can pull this up on, on the video feed. Okay, so go over here to courses and then go to the uh, playing for first and this zero to 100 course completely free. And some of the stuff that we're talking about here, you'll find us talking about this in this particular course. Uh, if you are an inner circle member, this uh, 101 to 200 course is also free to you. If you're not an inner circle member, you can pick this up for uh, $39 um, or you can um, wait until next week, uh, Black Friday, when you can get it for cheaper. So, uh, but yeah, check out that playing for first play course. And that'll help you kind of understand some of the things that we are talking about here. I guess I can pull that off the screen now. Um, so our softest competition is basically trying to pick these onesies and twosies. And even though they might be good at picking, Oh, this is a good matchup and this is a good spot. Well, there's, there's so many variables that go into whether or not a player has a good game, which is something we talk about a lot on OWS. And then on top of that, just the math behind trying to get, seven, eight, nine different spots right on your roster as opposed to trying to get four spots right on your roster. And by four spots, we mean, I'm gonna bet on this game environment. And if I get this game environment right, if I get this one thing right, I get four spots on my roster correct or five spots on my roster correct. And so now let's throw out defense. Now I only need to get three additional spots correct, right? So you get four bets correct to get eight spots correct on your roster. So our softest competition, they tend to try to pick these onesies and twosies uh, if you're listening to this, try to pay attention to where you fall on the spectrum. Do you lean too heavily toward overstacks of games or do you lean too heavily toward picking onesies and twosies? If you're going to err on one side or the other, you want to err on the side of overstacking games as opposed to erring on the side of picking onesies and twosies. But where I like to live and where ideally we would reside, where we find our greatest edge is recognizing that every slate is a little bit different. So if we were playing grinding NBA DFS every single night and you know that's where our focus is and then we're putting together our, our NFL stuff and we're maybe not putting in, obviously these guys are still putting in a lot of like time and attention to detail on what they're doing for their NFL weekend, but most of them are not putting in nearly as much time as you are in preparation for each NFL slate. And so they're going to just say, by and large, again, this is just general statements, but by and large, they're going to say, okay, what are the sharpest spots to stack? And I will overstack these handful of games on this particular week. Where I generally like to live and where we would ideally live is saying, let's assess this week and see, because some weeks it is sharper to overstack than to not overstack. And other weeks, you can actually gain an edge where your sharpest competition, the people you're competing against for those first place finishes, they're kind of auto stacking and auto overstacking. And we can see it as a week where, oh, you know what? The likeliest way to win this week is actually more skinny stacks or stacks without bringbacks or whatever the case might be and kind of find the unique elements in that particular week. So that's sort of some broad DFS strategy and, and theory and stuff to think about and understand um, in this space. So I say all that to also get to what I was seeing last week. What I was seeing last week was, and I talked about this on the Angles podcast, is, is far as what was the picture on the puzzle box last week. And the picture on the puzzle box last week was, it was a week where it made a lot of sense to pick game environments and overstack those games and really to focus primarily from, from that standpoint first and then move forward from there. So in other words, start every roster with what game or team am I 
heavily focused on how do I want to build around this game or team and then sort of move into the rest of your roster. So how that played out on my end, I was primarily focused, you know, kind of highlighted uh, Lions and Chargers, Texans and Bengals, Commanders and Seahawks and 49ers and Jags with it being viable to just play the 49ers with no Jags bring back. So uh, I ended up focusing primarily on the 49ers and the Commanders. Got my you know twenty five plus point score from Brock Purdy, whatever it was that he put up. But the uh, ideal way to pair that was with George Kittle, which was the smallest sliver of my pairing partners. There uh, got my twenty nine points from from more Howell Magic, uh, my my guy, who's one of only three quarterbacks on this week's slate who has put up uh, twenty eight plus DraftKings points three times this year. Uh, got my twenty nine points from Sam Howell, but pairing him with Brian Robinson was the way to go. I had zero percent Howell plus Robinson. It's actually something I played around with on Saturday night. Ended up not pulling the trigger on, uh, and all the Sam Howell doubles that I went with didn't end up hitting. And so what we saw instead was people who and we talked last week about. And Keenan Allen is really not in a great spot. In other words, he's not a great one off play. But if you're just stacking up that game, then that matchup type stuff goes out the window. And you just say, man, I'm just betting on this game being an absolute shootout. Well, it was. It was 41 to 38. And then when that ended up happening, all that magic stuff goes out the window. And it's just like guys in that there are going to be guys in that game who are going to end up having uh, big games. Then obviously Texans and Bengals with the underpriced Texans pieces and uh, that game ending up shooting out and, and being a really nice game environment. So uh, that was kind of what last week looked like. And so uh, I was able to be directionally accurate. Hopefully uh, some of you, I know actually looking at the Binks channel, a lot of you were able to be not just directionally accurate, but more specifically accurate in terms of not just building around game environments, building around the right game environments. Um, So what am I seeing this week? Well, this week is a, a little bit unique where we've got five teams on the slate. We talked about this in the angles email but we have five teams on the slate implied to score 26 plus points, but four of those teams are favored by nine or more points. So a couple of things that that means one, that means that this is not necessarily, these are not necessarily necessarily spots where you're game stacking, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to load up on the Cowboys and then bring it back with uh, one or two Panthers pieces, right? Like three Cowboys and two Panthers and there's five spots on my roster covered. And just using that as an example, not to say that, There aren't scenarios in which the Panthers can hit, but um, that's a pretty safe example to use here. So that's one thing that we want to think about. The other thing that we want to think about, too, is it's not just a team scoring, you know, oh, these teams are implied to score 26, 27 points, and they score 26, 27 points with these massive DraftKings salaries attached to them because these teams have had games of 40-plus points. Well, probably if they get you three touchdowns and two field goals, they're not winning you a tournament, right? What you really need is them to be putting up 28 plus points. You need them to be putting up four or more touchdowns, ideally five or more touchdowns. And, and if you get really fortunate, they get one of these, you know, 40 plus point games for the offense. And so not to say that that can't happen in these blowout wins in these stop type spots. The 49ers have done that plenty of times uh, over the last couple of years. The Cowboys have done that plenty of times just this year alone. Uh, but what we don't typically see is the spots like the chargers and the lions last week, where not only are both teams scoring and so they're going back and forth, but also both teams go into that game knowing that the opposing team is really good at scoring points. And so there's that opportunity for that back and forth in, in the minds of the coaches and players, even before the game gets underway. So the coaches become that much more aggressive because they know, okay, we have to score on 
every drive. We have to do everything that we can to score on every drive. We have to maximize our opportunities. And we have to be really aggressive in forcing mistakes from this defense, as opposed to kind of playing a little bit more conservatively, waiting for the opponent to make a mistake, waiting to take an advantage in this game, just sort of managing that advantage to the end of the game. Uh, when you're playing one of these teams that's able to score points, your mindset shifts in the way that you're calling that game, the way you're approaching that game, because uh, you know that, you know, because here's the thing. If you're playing a team that you are clearly better than, and you stay super aggressive on offense. Well, when you're aggressive, that opens you up to opportunities for mistakes. So maybe you're being super aggressive and you take a, a 20 point lead, or maybe you're being super aggressive and that leads to multiple early mistakes that actually gives the opponent the lead. And now you're in a bit of a hole. And so you don't typically see when a team just has a very clear edge, a team remaining super aggressive throughout. Now, there are situations where that does end up happening. Again, 49ers do it all the time. The Cowboys did it just last week against the Giants. But uh, generally speaking, what we want is ideally these games where you have that opportunity for a true back and forth for a game where uh, one team is pushing the other and then they're kind of playing off of one another and the points keep piling up because they understand, okay, we have to keep scoring in this game. So a couple games this week that have that type of potential that don't necessarily look like this in the spreads and in the over-unders, but when we kind of zoom out and say, what games could develop into this type of game? Uh, Lions at the, or, or Bears at the Lions with Justin Fields returning. So not much needs to be said there, right? We know that Justin Fields is capable of putting together explosive plays, putting up big games. Uh, this is kind of superfluous information or or not directly related information because these games were against the horrible Washington pass defense and against a Denver team that had not rounded into form yet. But uh, at least interesting to note that Justin Fields plus DJ Moore plus Cole Komet, their last two games together, 100.2 DraftKings points and 90.8 DraftKings points. So in terms of points per player, that's 30 to 33, 34 points per player. Uh, and in terms of salary multipliers, 16.6K in combined salary. So that's keeping on basically like a slightly below or slightly above a 300 point pace. Now there are other games, two of them, they kept you at a sub 100 point pace and the other, they kept you at a sub 150 point pace. So it's not as if you just throw these three guys in together and feel like your week is set and ready to go. But uh, some interesting stuff to highlight, right? In terms of... Um, what if the, you know, the, the Lions is an interesting spot because they have a really good defense, but they have a really good defense because they're sound, their assignment sound, they communicate well, they don't make a lot of mistakes, but they're not just a super talented defense that really scares you in that way. And we've seen that this year where uh, Justin Herbert's had a big game against them. Lamar Jackson's had a big game against them. Geno Smith has had a big game against them. I wouldn't put Justin Fields into the category of those three quarterbacks, but he is certainly a guy who can pop off for a big game or who can shine within the small sample size of a single game, a single week. So uh, that's one of those games that could actually end up developing into something very interesting. Uh, and then the other one, which I think will be relatively popular, but uh, sort of unavoidable to highlight. And that is Arizona at Houston. Uh, Houston is one of these teams implied to score 26 plus points, but they actually have a, uh, you know, the closest spread. It's last I looked, it was five and a half points. So not a super close spread, but closer than these other teams that are all nine or more points with their high implied point total. So uh, Arizona at Houston with Kyler Murray back, it becomes one of those games where we could see something very interesting develop in the spot. Arizona, you know, obviously Houston's a young team, uh, trap game type of situation. They had, you know, not that the Panthers have a bad defense. They actually have a pretty solid uh, pass defense, obviously a bad run defense, and the Texans were not able to run the ball against them. So, but we saw Houston have a game where they scored only 13 points against a, a 
pretty poor team, a mediocre defense or, you know, an average defense. So it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world. If Houston comes out and has kind of a letdown game in this spot, coming off these big wins that they've had, you know, the big comeback against Tampa and then a big win against the Super Bowl contender in the Bengals on the road. But if the Texans come out, if they come out firing, if they come out in the right headspace, if they come out ready to play, there's really nothing in this matchup that should hold them back. So then you flip it over to the other side and you say, is Kyler Murray capable of keeping pace in this game? And, you know, if he is, then all of a sudden this becomes one of the, becomes one of these really interesting potential game environments to pay attention to. Uh, on top of that, obviously, we have San Francisco against Tampa. San Francisco, who, uh, what are we at now? 11 out of 15 games with Brock Purdy that San Francisco has scored 30 plus points uh, playing against this Tampa team that, you know, faces the second or third highest opponent pass rate over expectation, the fifth highest opponent pass play rate overall. So uh, expect San Francisco to lean a little, a little bit more pass heavy in this spot and certainly capable of putting up yet another 30 point game here in this one. Interesting note on San Francisco. We, we touched on this last week, but all these games since Purdy took over, since Christian McCaffrey came onto the team, uh, all these games where it was like, man, the 49ers just keep scoring 30 points. The 49ers keep being tournament viable uh, ways to go. The majority of those games, not all those games, but the majority of those games, over, over, over 50% of those games, the best way to attack the 49ers has actually been with no bring back. So it uh, doesn't mean that you can't play a Tampa bring back in this spot, but don't fall into the trap of just thinking, okay, I'm playing two 49ers pieces or three 49ers pieces, I automatically have to have a bring back. The majority of the time that stacking the 49ers has been one of the best ways to go in tournaments, uh, playing that without a bring back has also been the best way to go. Uh, Washington at the Gi or Giants at Washington, another very interesting one where, okay, first off, we could say interesting because who knows, right? Washington gives up big games to every quarterback who faces them. Uh, crazier things have happened than Tommy DeVito having a big game against Washington. We won't spend any more time on that than just simply saying that. I don't expect it to happen, but it at least needs to be noted. But Washington going to pass the ball a ton, uh, capable of scoring points. They've had all these was it three games of 30 plus points, I think five games of 26 plus points. So uh, Washington, another team that could come out and just put up a bunch of points in this spot against uh, a, a Pretty bad Giants defense. Giants defense that has overperformed a couple times this year, including once against Washington, but generally speaking is very attackable uh, through the air, which is where Washington is going to be looking to attack. Miami at home against Las Vegas, a Las Vegas team that is, has actually been pretty good against the pass all season, uh, pretty attackable on the ground. But realistically, do we worry too much about the Panthers, uh, excuse me, about the Dolphins uh, in a matchup like this? No. When they played the Panthers, uh, Panthers very similar, right? Very attackable on the ground. And Miami did hit them on the ground. I think that was the game uh, where, or I know it was the game, but I think Mostert had 37 DraftKings points in that game and three touchdowns in that game. So again, you know, you hit them on the ground, but also they hit them through the air as well. They put up 42 points in that game. Uh, Tyree Kill had 30 plus DraftKings points in that game. So sort of a similar situation here with Las Vegas, where look, the teams that have held down Tyree Kill were Miami, uh, Buffalo pre-injury and Kansas city. So uh, Miami and Buffalo or uh, new England and Buffalo, two teams that know the dolphins really well. And, you know, new England, it was week two, they were healthy. They had Christian Gonzalez. They had Matt Judon uh, really tough defense to play against and Buffalo. They were healthy, really tough defense for Miami to play against. And then Kansas city, one of the top defenses in the NFL in a week where Miami had to travel across the ocean and uh, play a weird time zone game in Germany. And so uh, outside of that, 
Tyree Kill has hit for, you know, a, a basically a tourney viable score every single game. This offense has been humming every single game. So uh, Raiders, not a team that we should be particularly concerned about. Uh, I'll say it like this. It wouldn't be a total shock if the Raiders do a decent job against the Dolphins through the air. But also the likeliest outcome is that the Dolphins don't have a lot of trouble in this one. So Dolphins, another one of these teams that the game environment probably doesn't line up very well for them. Uh, Vic Fangio defense rounding into shape, Aiden O'Connell under center for the Raiders, but the Dolphins themselves have potential to put up a bunch of points. Uh, Jags, actually another one where that matchup against Tennessee is so soft. Uh, teams have not really tilted toward the air against Tennessee this year, the way that we've seen in the past, but Jacksonville does tilt toward the air themselves. They'll be able to take advantage uh, of this matchup. Obviously Trevor Lawrence really underwhelming so far this year, uh, no games of, or maybe it was one game of 300 plus passing yards, um, and nine total touchdowns on the season, I believe it is. So, uh, you know, not, not like the Jags are the Jags we expect them to be offensively, but this is a great spot and uh, a lot of good weapons on a concentrated offense. Uh, the Chargers against Green Bay, another team that Green Bay, not good through the air, not good on the ground, but just because of the structure of their defense, how they play things, teams attack them heavily on the ground. Uh, so we would expect the Chargers to lean, run heavy in this one. But again, Chargers only implied for, I think, 23 and a half points. Uh, last time I looked, it was 23 and a half points. So not one of these 26 plus point implied totals, but would it shock us if the Chargers were able to come out and put up four touchdowns in this game? It shouldn't. And so, I, you know, going through this list, what we see is not a lot of games where the game environment looks ripe for a shootout, but a lot of spots, the last one, Dallas, Carolina, very obvious that Dallas can put up a bunch of points in that one. So a lot of spots where the potential for one team to put up a bunch of points is there, which kind of gives us a lot to sort through and a lot of fun things to play around with this week. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things real quickly. We're actually going to get to some position by position um, thoughts, not, not necessarily picks or plays or whatever, but just some really quick position by position thoughts, but really quickly wanted to touch on something touched, touched on this last week as well, but uh, props insider, uh, up to 10,725 in profit, 67 spots remaining, and we rolled out Black Friday prices early. So this will expire. These Black Friday prices will expire at the end of Thanksgiving week or once these 67 spots are gone, whichever comes first. So uh, Props Insider, $5.99 for the last eight months of Props Insider. Quick note on that, that includes you know the rest of NBA season. Last year, we made over $9,000 in NBA alone. That also includes MLB futures bets in, in March. Last year, we made 20, over 2,300 in MLB futures bets. Uh, so, and, you know, 10, 000, anybody who got into the Props Insider uh, at the start of the package, they're up, you know, bet every bet, uh, 100 bucks a unit. They're up $10,725. If they bet 50 bucks per bet, they're up $5,360, right? And, and kind of on down the list. So uh, at $5.99, you know, it's pretty much a no-brainer. The uh, Actually, yesterday, the Props Insider Package had over $500 in profit on NBA bets yesterday alone. So $5.99 for the last eight months. Again, 67 spots remaining. So um, be sure to take advantage of that. Another thing I wanted to mention real quickly, uh, over here in the promo codes section, just a reminder that... Uh, 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks on underdog, on prize picks, on drafters, on sleeper. Take advantage of these things. And I talked about this in the Winter Circle podcast this week, but you know, all the really sharpest people that you talk to in the space, what you're going to find is they're always looking for these opportunities to scoop up small amounts of money, these small edges. And another thing with, you know, having the 
If, if you just play an underdog, do your pickums on underdog, you've already used up your deposit bonus, right? So go get that extra $300 at these other sites. Also, the lines the lines are different on other sites. And then furthermore, you know, like this week, Brock Purdy opened on underdog at 233 passing yards. Now he's up last I looked, which was this morning, he was up to 247 passing yards. So I maxed out the amount that I was able to put on Brock Purdy on underdog, right? But then you're able to go to other apps and hit that bet again on those apps. Uh, story I told on Winter Circle, I don't know why I had this on underdog, if it was just because I play high, higher volume or because I had been gone you know, all off season, but kind of logged on before week one this year, went to deposit money and I had a 100% deposit match up to $500 that they offered me. So I took advantage of that. And like within by the end of week one, I was down to 300 bucks in my account. So if I had just put in the 500 bucks, it would have been all gone. Not to say that I couldn't have redeposited, but I was down to 300 bucks, uh, which dipped into that free money that they had given me. I uh, have not redeposited since since then. And now my account has 10,500 in it. And so just kind of shows how valuable that extra free money from them is, right? Because maybe you're in a position where you won't be able to redeposit, but you get that extra free money. It gives you some extra room to play play around with. And then, you know, you start out with a little bit of a loss because that happens in pickums where, you know, you keep putting in plus EV stuff, but you're going to have some losses because of these asymmetric payouts. Uh, start out with, with a loss, but you're able to make up for that loss, you know, because you have that extra money to play around with. So uh want to just shout that out, hit up that promo codes page, uh, get yourself some free money, very sharp way to take advantage of, you know, these, these, Situations will not be around two, three years from now. This free money from these sites is available right now because they want to get you on those sites. Uh, they're newer sites and this pick them stuff is newer. And so uh, this is the time to really take advantage of that. Uh, last note, we mentioned the Black Friday stuff is already going for Props Insider. Uh, the rest of the Black Friday stuff will hit next Wednesday. You'll get the angles email a day early because it's Thanksgiving week and um, we'll drop all the Black, Black Friday sales, uh, you know, a bunch of money off. If you're an OWS DFS member and want to upgrade to Inner Circle, we'll have a, a cool discount for us to see it on that. Uh, Bink Machine Optimizer, the NBA Bink Machine, all the courses in the DFS education marketplace. Uh, lots of cool stuff to take advantage of next week. Okay, so going back to the slate, talking about some stuff around position. So I'm going to talk about the top of the quarterback position, the top of the wide receiver position, uh, then talk a little bit about the running back position and then an interesting angle I'm seeing at tight end. So top of the quarterback position, I'm going to take these top four quarterbacks talking about DraftKings pricing, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, and Dak Prescott. So let me preface this with... Josh Allen can go for 35 plus points. Tua can go for 35 plus points. Herbert can go for 35 plus points. Dak can go for 35 plus points. What is likely to happen on this particular week? Well, Josh Allen's playing the Jets. We kind of leave it at that, right? Quarterbacks don't typically put up tournament winning scores against the Jets. DraftKings no longer adjusts pricing to account for matchups. So Josh Allen is at his normal price tag playing against the Jets defense. And we know that the likeliest scenario here is that he doesn't end up producing a tournament winning score. Uh, next up, we have Tua, who he has a 31-pointer on the year, a 32-pointer on the year. Uh, that's it. Those are his only two games above 29 points or above 28 points. So in fact, you know, Sam Howell has more games of 28 plus points than Tua Tagovailoa does. Uh, Sam Howell, his best game, 35 points is better than Tua's best game. Pretty interesting stuff right there. But uh, Tua, one of these spots where, again, the Raiders have been good against the pass. They tilt opponents to the ground. Teams 
tend to lean more heavily on the ground against the Raiders than they do in their typical matchups. And so can Tua hit for a, a bigger game than 31, 32 points? He can, but again, just one of these setups where the likeliest outcome is that he ends up more in like this 24, 25, 26, 27 point range as opposed to putting up one of these scores that you're like, man, I'm really glad I paid that big price tag for him because I couldn't have won without this score. And that couldn't have won without that score is it's worth thinking about. We've seen that the last two weeks where, you know, two weeks ago I had 77% CD lamb and 36% Dak Prescott and CD lamb put up whatever it was, 30 plus points and Dak put up 31, 32 points, but then CJ Stroud goes and drops 46. So you're well behind the field there. Uh, last week, similarly, I had, Purdy, which my, with my really solid point per dollar score, I had Howell with my 29 point score, but only had a little bit of Dak and Dak goes out and drops 40 plus points. And so you're way behind those rosters. And so we always want to be thinking about not who can put up a solid score, but who can put up that had to have it type of score. And so again, both these guys, not to say that they're not capable of it, but just the chances aren't that high. Uh, Justin Herbert, same thing, playing against Green Bay. The matchup through the air isn't bad, but Teams just uh, relentlessly attack the Packers on the ground. I believe it's the second highest uh, opponent rush play rate in the NFL, like second or third highest opponent rush play rate in the NFL is what the Packers face. So uh, going into Green Bay, which is never an, an easy place to play, uh, very much expect the Chargers to lean on the run and don't expect the Packers to be able to make this one of these back and forth type games. Speaking of guys who have gone for 28 plus DraftKings points. Herbert's done it only twice this year. He put up uh, 32 against Minnesota. He put up 32 against Detroit. Has not put up the 35-pointer that Sam Howell has put up this year. Uh, Shout out to our boy, Sam Howell. But uh, one of these spots, again, where can Herbert put up that type of score? Yes. Is it likely? No. And is it likely that he puts up the type of score that you're like, man, I wish I'd had Herbert. I could not have won this slate without him. No. Uh, And then lastly, Dak Prescott. Interesting one, right? Because last week, everything in the game environment set up to where you're like, I mean, the Cowboys are going to stomp and then they're going to just run the ball. Uh, But in this one, in this spot, the matchup actually really sets up that way as well in that the, uh, you know, okay, I'll say it like this. We know that it is better for an offense to pass than to run in terms of expected points added. Now, the run game is important because everything in the passing game builds off of the run. These teams that just pass the ball, we've seen it with with Josh Allen and the Bills, like they struggle because the defense knows what they're going to do so the defense can call defenses that are aggressive toward the pass. But uh, in terms of expected points added, it is better to pass the ball than to run the ball. Uh, What does this do to your expected points on this particular play? Better to pass the ball than to run the ball. So the Panthers are one of only, I believe it's one of only four teams. It might be one of only three teams in the entire NFL that gives up a positive EPA per rush. So in other words, you actually add expected points every time you run the ball against the Panthers. And they're one of only three or four teams in the NFL that that's the case. On top of that, the Panthers are solid enough on the back end that they actually have a negative EPA per pass play against them. So it's not even just like, oh, it's easy to run the ball against the Panthers. It's like we are adding expected points when we run the ball against the Panthers. We are subtracting expected points when we pass the ball against the Panthers. Now, Panthers not like one of only three or four teams with a negative EPA through the air, but it is certainly much more common to have a positive EPA through the air than it is to have a positive EPA on the ground against the defense. So that shows just how heavily teams tend or are biased, are going to be biased toward running the ball. So whether they're looking at, you know, like interesting spot this week uh, is Houston, because when you look at Arizona 
against Houston and whether it's more vibe, whether it's more positive to pass the ball than to run the ball against Arizona. Well, it is positive to run the ball against Arizona. It's even more positive to pass the ball against Arizona. And you have a coach in Bobby Slowick, who uh, offensive coordinator in Bobby Slowick, who used to work for pro football focus and is certainly going to be looking at metrics like EPA per play to see like, how do we want to bias our attack in this spot to where, yeah, it's easy to run against Arizona, but you had even more expected points by passing against Arizona. Uh, so I don't know that the Cowboys are necessarily looking at EPA the way that I would expect somebody like Bobby Slowick to look at EPA, but they are watching film and they are seeing like, oh, it's easier to run the ball than it is to pass. It's kind of hard to pass against this team. It's easy to run against this team. Whereas last week against the Giants, it was like, yeah, I mean, it's it's not hard to run against this team. It's also not easy to run against this team and it's easy to pass against this team. So the Cowboys kind of came out with this aggressive game plan, also division matchup where teams kind of like to stomp on their opponents sometimes in these division type matchups. We saw it with uh, Cincinnati a couple of years ago against the Ravens and that in the year of the Super Bowl run for Cincinnati, where they really wanted to uh, exert like that dominance in the AFC North and two games against the Ravens that year, they really just kept their foot on the gas and I think Burrow threw for 500 plus yards in one of those in a blowout win. So we kind of see those in division games sometimes. Uh, this is the sort of spot where I would very much expect the Cowboys to, you know, basically the Panthers are the only team in the NFL that has faced a higher rush play rate than pass play rate. Over 50% of plays against them have come on the ground. They're the only team in the NFL that over 50% of plays against them have been on the ground. So uh, not to say that the Cowboys will necessarily bias that heavily, heavily toward the run, but I would expect this to be a more run dominant game for the Cowboys. Again, making it harder for Dak to put up, uh, you know, a fourth consecutive monster score in this spot. So that's the top of the quarterback range. Then we move over to wide receiver. Uh, Tyree Kill obviously can hit in any matchup, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave him off of this where, like we said, he hit against the Panthers, right, which is a very similar setup to what he has against the Raiders this week. Uh, but CeeDee Lamb, if the Cowboys are biasing as heavily toward the run as most teams do against the Panthers, it's going to be hard for him to pay off this $9,200 price tag. Stephon Diggs, you know, we've seen some wide receivers go for – 29 DraftKings points against the Jets. Stefan Diggs has done it before. I believe he did it in week one, or maybe he had like 23 DraftKings. She's right here. So I can actually uh, look at that. He had yeah, 29.2 DraftKings points against the Jets in week one. So he's capable of doing that. And we always say like, throw out, throw out salaries once you get up to 30 points, right? Any 30 pointer is valuable regardless of what you paid for it. But can he go above 30 points, right? When we think about like, if, if we could jump to Monday and just see, oh, this player scored 30 points on Sunday, and then we we can rewind back to Saturday and say, well, yeah, let's roster that player because 30 points is valuable. That's one thing. But if we're, we can't just jump around in time like that, right? So we have to look and say, okay, what are his chances of scoring 30? And what are his chances of going well above that? What are his chances of me rostering him and, and burying other rosters that didn't have him because he put up 35, he put up 38, he put up 40. Well, those chances are obviously pretty low against the Jets. So uh, Diggs, it's more like, oh, he actually could get to 30 but the likely scenario is that he doesn't. So why do we take on that risk at 9,100? Uh, Keenan Allen, again, similar type of uh, attached to the quarterback we've already talked about in Justin Herbert in the game where we would expect this to be a more run-leaning spot for the Chargers. Uh, and then actually I'll throw a bonus one in here. Amon Ross St. Brown, who is uh, going to be one of the easiest buttons for people to click this week. Uh, but Matt Eberflus defense, we we had years when Eberflus was, was with the Colts with this Tampa 2 defense that filters everything to the middle of the field, tries to take away wide receivers and force opponents to throw the ball to the tight end and the running backs. Well, uh, for years, you would look at the Colts secondary and you'd be like, this is not a scary secondary. We can attack the secondary. And then they would be one of the three worst matchups for wide receivers in fantasy by the end of the year. Well, 
Week two, Mike Evans went for 170, 171 yards, whatever it was, against the Chicago Bears. Week two. Since then, in eight games or eight weeks, whatever it is, uh, the Bears have not allowed a single wide receiver to go over 65 yards against them. Uh, that includes a game against Keenan Allen. That includes a game against Devontae Adams. That includes a game against Jordan Addison with Kirk Cousins under center. That includes Terry McLaurin. That includes uh, Kansas City. That includes uh, Adam Thielen. That includes Chris Olave. So really not a great spot four wide receivers, not to say that Amon Ross St. Brown can't hit, but just to say that the field is going to look at him as like, oh, this is an obvious play, play, play St. Brown. Uh, whereas realistically, the way that this matchup sets up doesn't really favor him as the guy who's going to get the production in this spot. So top of the quarterback range, top of the wide receiver range, it's, it's pretty thin up there in terms of, do you really want to spend the salary on this? Which, you know, for people, people won't see the, the St. Brown one, but like the other wide receivers and the other quarterbacks, I don't think we're going to see a ton of attention on those guys, which kind of brings the the eye level down in terms of where people are looking at those positions. Uh, and then at running back, obviously you got Christian McCaffrey at the top. I think people might shy away from the matchup against Tampa for whatever it's worth. Uh, McCaffrey did have 119 rushing yards uh, and three catches for 24 or two catches for 34 or something like that. Uh, and two touchdowns against Tampa last year playing on the 49ers. So uh, certainly potential for McCaffrey to still put up a 30 plus point game in this spot. But I think people will kind of skip over that. And then people will look at Austin Eckler in this game against Green Bay. Good play on paper there. Uh, But then we get kind of down to like Travis Etienne 7,200 where we're used to seeing him. But interestingly this week, Saquon Barkley 7,100, Josh Jacobs 6,800, Tony Pollard 6,600, Derrick Henry 6,300. So a really interesting week where the eye level is going to be kind of brought down at quarterback and wide receiver. And then this running back, we get the the running back pricing. We get sort of a, a nice mix of players to consider at price tags that we don't typically see them at or consider them and maybe not play them, but right and gives people extra things to think about there. So that kind of gives you a sense of the shape of this week. Uh, Last thing I want to talk about is the tight end position. And uh, I'm going to highlight uh, a couple guys here. And in fact, this gets a little complicated because of all the cheap running backs down in the uh, 4k price range that you have to sift through, but um, tight end and the flex, right? For years, it's been easy to argue against that. And the reason is because people will play these 3K tight ends and they play the 3K tight end because it's like, well, God, I got to play somebody at this position. And hopefully this guy gets me 10 points and doesn't kill my roster because if I'm not playing up for Travis Kelsey, there's really nobody else producing. Uh, Maybe I pay 4,800 for a guy and maybe he gets me 12 points or 13 points, but maybe he gets me four or five points, and that's no better than just paying down, right? So what we would see is people sometimes do the tight end in the flex, but they're kind of burning a roster spot because already that, she, you know, if you're not paying up for Travis Kelsey or if, if you pay up for him, he puts up 16 points or something like that. Well, that's burning a hole in your roster. And then, you know, you got to play, you got to play a tight end. So you pay, play one of these cheap tight ends. And most of the time that's burning a hole in your roster, but you have to do it. You have to play a tight end. So why play two of them though, right? Why burn an extra hole in your roster just to free up salary? Um, and that's kind of been the argument over the years is, is even when these guys hit, they don't have the same ceiling as the other guys priced around them. So the question is, has the tight end position changed a little bit? Have things shifted? Should we be thinking a little bit differently about this position? So in that context, uh, Jake Ferguson, 4,600, he has a 22-pointer this year. He has uh, four, two, two other games of 14.7 points this year. When you look at 4,600 wide receivers, 
how many of them have a game of 22 points and a couple other games of 14.7? Even better examples, we can come down to Trey McBride, who has had three games in this starting role. He's only 4,400. He has games of 24.1 and 25.5 DraftKings points. Can you find a wide receiver priced in this 4K range who has multiple games of 24 plus points, let alone multiple games in the last three weeks with scores like that? Uh, then we can jump on down to 4,100 where Cole Komet is sitting. Uh, Cole Komet with a game of 4,100, okay? Think about the $4,100 wide receivers. 4,100 is like Rashid Shahid, where I love playing Shahid because you can get these 27 points. He has a 27-pointer this year, a 20-pointer, an 18-pointer. And then when he misses, you know, you're getting four, five, six points. And so people kind of tend to avoid him because of how broad his range of outcomes is. Well, here's Cole Komet. Yeah, he's got a game of 4.2, a game of 2.9, a game of 7.8. Sounds a lot like Shahid, right? But what about the fact that he also has a game of 17.9, a game of 23.5, a game of 27.6. He also has a game of 15.2 and a couple games of 9.4, 9 9.4, 9.6. And then last guy I'll touch on here is Evan Ingram, who is averaging 11 DraftKings points per game. And hasn't scored a touchdown this year. Uh, 11.7 points in week one, 13.7 in week two, 12.9 in week, or sorry, that was uh, weeks two, three, 12.9 in week four, 11.1 in week six, 17.8 in week eight. And this is all without touchdowns. Uh, Really interesting is that last year he had like 140 yards and two touchdowns against the Titans, a Titans team that's really good against tight ends. But how about this? Evan Ingram has played in the slot or out wide on 67% of his snaps this year. He's listed as a tight end. He's not really a tight end. He doesn't play the tight end role in this offense. He is a wide receiver in this offense uh, going into this good matchup, this good wide receiver matchup against Tennessee. So uh, we've seen some sharp people recently rolling out double tight end rosters. We've seen some double tight end rosters at the tops of the leaderboards. And we always want to look for opportunities to adjust our play based on what's going on in the NFL. And what's going on in the NFL is some of these guys are, they have real roles, real upside, and they are still priced lower than they should be. So all these guys, you know, we talked about uh, Ingram averaging 11 points without any touchdowns. Uh, Komet averaging 11.8, but with this wide range of outcomes. So who are some of the guys priced around them? Quinton Johnston. 4,200, averaging 4.5 DraftKings points per game. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, popular every week right now, averaging 8.6 DraftKings points per game. Uh, Running backs, right? We've got Savan Ahmed averaging 4.4 DraftKings points per game. We've got Roshan Johnson averaging 6.4 DraftKings points per game. Uh, Christian Watson averaging 7.2 DraftKings points per game. So when you kind of get below this 5K price range, there's a big gap between the points you're getting from these tight ends and the points that you're getting from the players at other positions down here. So uh, something very interesting to, to be thinking about, paying attention to as you move into this week. With that, let's get to this week's bottom up build. Uh, those of you who are new, we won't go through the uh, full description of what the bottom up build is this week. But what we do is we build a roster with a salary cap of 44 K. We also kind of talk about how we might build this roster 
if we were playing in a contest where everybody had a salary cap of 44K. In other words, what would be our strategy and theory gives us an opportunity to touch on that a little bit. Uh, obviously, something that we touch on all the time in Inner Circle week in and week out. We've got the Winter Circle podcast on Wednesdays, which is macro DFS strategy and training through the lens of the week behind or the week ahead. Uh, we have the Slate podcast on Saturdays which is a macro breakdown of the entire slate position by position, but talking as opposed to just talking picks, talking strategy on that particular slate. We also have the Oracle in the scroll each week where we answer some of the key strategy questions on the week. Uh, and then, you know, some free training stuff, big discounts on, on training stuff for inner circle members as well. So, uh, but with that, let's go ahead and get to the bottom up build. Oh yeah. That's the last note here. Uh, we also have a contest with a 44 K salary cap called the bottom up build contest. You can find the link to that in my player grid in the scroll, which should be live a little bit earlier than normal on Friday this week. Uh, or you can find it in the bottom up build channel on the OWS discord. Uh, build with a 44k salary cap. Uh, get First place gets $250 worth of free courses on OWS. Second place gets, I think, $150 worth uh, and top five spots get paid out. First place also gets a special discord color for their name so that everybody knows you are a bottom-up build winner. With that, let's get to this week's bottom-up build. So what I wanted to do, kind of tie everything that we talked about together. Um, and one of the things we talked about was this. Well, one of the things we talked about was overstacks. One of the things we talked about was double tight ends. One of the things that we talked about was this Arizona and Houston game. So uh, still waiting, you know, it's Thursday as I'm recording this. So we don't have the clear injury news that I typically have. When I record this on Friday, I am most particularly interested in this Houston offense. If there are if these injuries hold, right? So Nico Collins has returned to practice. He has said that he's going to play this week, but Noah Brown has missed Wednesday and Thursday. No real word out of Houston of whether this is kind of precautionary or whether he's expected to play. Like I would expect him to get in, get in a limited practice on Friday and then be questionable heading into the weekend. And then, you know, the way these things typically trend is we get a Schefter bomb on Saturday night that says that Noah Brown is expected to play. Um, if that's the case, right, then we don't have as condensed of a target distribution here for this Texans offense. Uh, also, Damian Pierce has missed Wednesday and Thursday. He does seem to be trending toward missing. All of this is just conjecture, putting pieces together. But uh, I would kind of tentatively expect Noah Brown to play, tentatively expect Damian Pierce to miss. So if Damian Pierce misses, an uh, interesting note here, I really, really overlooked this spot last week. It was a, kind of a big mistake of mine to not have just a ton of Devin Singletary. But uh, outside of their game against Tampa, which we know teams don't run against Tampa, outside of their game against Tampa, uh, when Devin Singletary had 13 carries. Every other game this year, Houston running backs have had 18 or more combined carries. Uh, they had 18 and 19 in weeks one and two when new offense, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator getting a feel for their team, right? Ever since then, take away the Tampa game, ever since weeks one and two, every single game they've had 22 to 31 rush attempts. And Devin Singletary is basically going to get all of those rush attempts if Damian Pierce is out. So uh, Devin Singletary is going to go on to this stack. Tank Dell is going to go onto this stack. I would prefer him if Noah Brown misses, but uh, that's more from like a certainty that you build in perspective. The ceiling is still there, whether Noah Brown is playing or not. So uh, Singletary and Dell, we're going to put Kyler 
at quarterback. And then we're also going to pair Kyler with Hollywood Brown and Trey McBride. So this gives us a really nice starting point. We're not spending a ton of money on any of these players, and it gives us this really sharp core. And one of the things that you'll see is it's cool on these bottom-up build rosters is, uh, I mean, you look at the bottom-up build contests, we frequently see 180 points scored, 185 points scored, 190 points scored, even 200-plus points scored with a 44K salary cap. Uh, so really cool to see sort of the upside that people are able to squeeze onto their rosters in the bottom-up build contest. But, you know, even more broadly, when you force yourself to work with this 44K salary cap, then you can kind of see like, oh, I built in all this upside and I still have 6K in salary to work with. Uh, and so then you can kind of say, well, I want to get up to Tyree Kill or I want to get up to Cooper Cup or I want to get up to whoever you might want to get up to that, that builds in that much more upside from one of these more iffy pieces. Uh, so this, this starting point of these five players really gives you a lot of flexibility because you're basically just placing one bet. This one bet is this game environment takes off. What's cool about a game environment that can take off with cheaper players is that the salary multiplier can be that much higher, right? So if Dak and CD Lamb take off, the raw points is awesome, but you also have less salary to work with in other spots on your roster. And so, you know, you're maybe getting four and a half X their salary, which keeps you on a 225 point pace. And then you, you have less salary to work with in other spots. You got to really nail the right guys. Whereas when you're with a, a Kyler, Singledary, Tank Dell, Hollywood Brown, Trey McBride, all of a sudden you have so much salary to work with and you can put in, you know, whatever high priced piece or pieces you want to put in around that type of build. Obviously we're working with a 44 K salary cap here. So uh, can't quite go all in on the high price pieces the way that we could otherwise. Uh, I'm going to throw Tony Pollard on this roster, not totally set yet on how high my Tony Pollard exposure will be this week. And what I mean by that is he could be anywhere from like, I'm going to have 14% Tony Pollard this week to I'm going to have 60% Tony, Tony Pollard this week, right? He could be one of those guys that I just say, man, game against Carolina, second most carries in the NFL inside the 10-yard line. Uh, Josh Jacobs has the most. Josh Jacobs has, I think it's five touchdowns inside the 10. Tony Pollard has two. And then and, and Josh Jacobs has underperformed his you know touchdown expectations. Uh, and then you've got like Jalen Hurts with eight and Mostert or seven, I think inside the 10 and Mostert with eight, somebody else with eight, and like all these guys with fewer carries than Pollard with five, six, seven, eight touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. Uh, whereas Pollard has all these carries inside the 10, only two touchdowns playing against this Carolina defense that is so generous to running back. So uh, I certainly could see myself just saying, you know what, I'm going to, uh, I've, and I've hardly played Pollard at all this year. I've just been fortunate enough to avoid him, generally speaking. But this could be the week where I'm like, you know what? It's Pollard week. Like, let's, let's, I, I, I'm willing to lose because it wasn't Pollard week. I'm more potentially more willing to lose because I went overweight and it wasn't Pollard week than I am to lose because I went overweight and it was Pollard. I mean, I went underweight and it was Pollard week and I, and I missed out, right? Um, the matchup is so favorable and the, and the spot's so good. So, uh, Pollard, very interesting play. Uh, don't yet know where I'm going to end up on him in terms of the exposure, but wanted to get him onto this bottom-up build roster. Uh, that gives us six spots already covered and doesn't give us a ton of salary left to work with uh, to keep under 44K salary cap. So uh, went with the Jags defense, one of those weeks where, you know, everybody likes to go to the cheap defenses, but, um, you know, the Panthers are actually viable. They've got one game of negative points this year uh, and then a game of four points against Indianapolis, a game of four points at the Miami Dolphins, a game of zero points against Seattle, a game of four points against Atlanta, uh, and then a bunch of kind of seven, eight point games, right? So probably what you get for them is four or five points, but they cost only 2,200 and, you know, 
that frees up a lot of salary. If you're like, no, I want to try to target some upside at defense because I should be targeting upside at every spot on my roster. You can get up to the Jets and say, man, maybe the Jets have another big game against Josh Allen. Um, you know, that's not the likeliest outcome. The Jets have an 11 pointer against a really good Philly team, uh, 18 pointer against a, a so-so Denver team, a 20 pointer against Buffalo. And then, you know, everything else is kind of this, this four to eight point range. Same thing that the Panthers put together um, really holding back the Jets is the fact that, the Jets offense is so bad. So teams can kind of manage the way that they're attacking the Jets defense to avoid mistakes and account for the fact that they can win games uh, without being super aggressive. Um, but I say all that to say, there's really not a ton to love down there. There's not a lot, a lot to love below 3K where you're like, man, this team could get me 15, 18, 20 points and be a difference making defense this week. So uh, I wanted to get up over 3K on this roster, especially with such an inexpensive stack as our starting point, over stack as our starting point. Uh, and so... Jacksonville Jags at 3,400 playing against Will Levis. We know that the Jags have a really fast defense. They close spaces quickly, zone-based defense. And that's just really not a great setup for a young quarterback in Will Levis, a guy who will try to force those tight window throws. Jacksonville negative four points against Houston, one point against San Francisco, five points against Buffalo. Those are all really good offenses. Uh, every other game this year, the Jacksonville defense has eight or more DraftKings points. That's eight points against Kansas City. That's nine points against New Orleans. Uh, that's double digit points against Indianapolis, two different times, Pittsburgh and Atlanta. That game against Atlanta was a 20 pointer. So uh, going up against Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans uh, with a really good run defense, it's hard to run against the Jags. And we know that the Titans won't care about that. They'll still try to run, but Jags should be able to put up points. The Titans will eventually have to throw. It gives opportunities for the Jags to pile up some turnovers, maybe even a defensive touchdown here. So I uh, wanted to get the Jags defense in here. Then in my flex spot, go with the double tight end. Uh, one guy that we did not touch on yet, saved him for the bottom-up build, is Tyler Conklin. So same thing we've been talking about. You know, can he get you 20-plus points? Well, actually, he can. The problem for Conklin is that the Jets just don't score a lot of touchdowns. So we highlighted, hey, Evan Ingram's getting all these points and hasn't even scored a touchdown yet. Well, the Jags score touchdowns. Uh, Conklin getting all these points, hasn't scored a touchdown yet. The, the Jets don't really score touchdowns uh, and might not score touchdowns against the Bills. But is he capable of putting up 20? Well, he put up 14 last week without a touchdown. So add a touchdown in there, that's 20 points. Uh, has another game of 12.6, has a game of 10.7, a game of 10, a game of 9.8. I mean, when you think about a 3K wide receiver, these are tremendous scores. This guy's 2,900 uh, to be consistently getting you 10 points, 12 points, 14 points. So uh, five games this year that he's been at 9.8 points or higher. Five games this year he's been at 9.8 points or higher. So uh, interesting spot for Tyler Conklin, 2,900. Frees up some salary here on our bottom-up build. Uh, and then the last piece is Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed, not on the field every snap for the Packers, but we would expect the Packers to be chasing points in this spot. Uh, Jaden Reed, one of the only guys, you know, on one of the only wide receivers under 5K who actually kind of has a, a per game scoring um, range that matches up with the tight ends under 5K. Uh, so Jaden Reed averaging 10.8 DraftKings points per game. We already talked about Evan Ingram at 11 and Cole Komet at, at I think it was 11.7. So uh, Jaden Reed averaging 10.8. Uh, he has a pair of 19 pointers on the year. He has a 12 pointer, an 11 pointer, a 10 pointer, a nine pointer. So uh, a guy who is certainly capable of putting together some points. And uh, in this game where the 
we would expect the Packers to be chasing points again, eventually chasing points against the Chargers. Uh, he's an interesting guy, not a guy who's like stand out or is going to be like a, a core piece of my build. But in terms of how to kind of wrap up this bottom up build, uh, Elijah Moore's off the table for me because, or I think he'll be off the table because of Dorian Thompson Robinson starting now. Uh, Curtis Samuel, always viable, but just not a lot to love down here. Michael Wilson, another guy that we could have thrown in as part of our game stack, but uh, wanted to take a shot at Jaden Reed to give myself a chance to talk about him as one of these guys who does actually fit uh, into this category. So with that, pretty good uh, Angles podcast for a Thursday, in my opinion. Uh, like I said, thought it was Friday this morning uh, because I am at that point in my week of prep. Uh, hopefully that'll pay off with my play and results this weekend. And with that, I will see you on the site throughout the remainder of the weekend. And I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.